I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. It's Tommy Lowe! Roby Roby Weekly. Little reverse pass. Hello and welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly. This podcast is sponsored by William Hill. Remember to gamble responsibly and visit dunlouis.net for more information. My name is Gavin Casey and I'm joined as always by my colleague with the 42.e, Murray Kinsella. Murray, how are things on your end? Yeah, all great. It's been a, another hectic one. Loads of England media this week, which has actually been a nice change. A very pleasurable experience, I have to say. But yeah, it's nice just to be a couple of days out now from a massive Six Nations game. Can't wait. What could you be possibly getting out there, Murray? A pleasurable experience with your English counterparts rather than the usual dross <laughs> from our Irish players? No, no, no. To be fair, loads of the Irish players are, are great value as well. But um, yeah, it was just it was a different change of scene. Ellis Genge was up um, and we didn't even use the stuff on the 42, but he's a, an interesting character. Um, Matt, Matt Proudfoot, happy to speak about anything. And Eddie Jones just today, he wasn't his usual... Um, incendiary self but uh he was interesting anyway as always he's always got a few comments and a few lines so yeah it was good just to mix it up a little bit it's been non-stop zoom calls with ireland camp for the last few months so change of scene is good bernard jackman delighted to see you as well how was your week going yeah good i'm looking forward to saturday i know we said scotland was going to be the the litmus test for ireland we'd know if we had a team or not unfortunately i i still Sure. So, um, uh, no, obviously, we have a team. I'm still not sure how, how good we are. Um, and I think, yeah, this week will will um, hopefully give us a clear idea of how much progress um, or lack of we've, we've made. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the chat today. We're going to delve into that Scotland game, look ahead to England, naturally enough. Field a couple of your questions from the members rugby whatsapp group members.the42.e if you want to sign up there get all of the extra content and support our independent sports journalism uh, to begin with don't worry probably the headline news of the week really caught a, a lot of us by surprise cj stander announcing his retirement and understandably a lot of adulation coming his way for his nine years of service in both uh monster red and irish green and uh it's one of those weird ones when you're doing a podcast and you basically just have to wax lyrical about a guy now for a few minutes because he's been so good and we're going to miss him, I think. Yeah, absolutely. It leaves a little bit of a hole there, but loads of candidates, as he mentioned himself, to probably step in and and there is a always a, a back row conveyor belt there. It certainly was surprise news, certainly this week. You know, as I say, it was hectic enough any without it. I, I think you might have mentioned this a few months ago, did you, Gav? I had this vague memory of you asking us a question whether he was going to retire. Is that me just imagining it? I had mentioned it, but somebody had said it to me, and I think it turned out that they had read it from a Jerry Thornley piece in the Irish Times some weeks prior. So I actually think Thornley had this story, like, mid-season. I don't recall that now. Fair play if he did, but it, yeah, it caught us all, all off guard, really. Um, and yeah, what a, what a statement to go out on, obviously talking about his family and a lengthy statement that really went into the, the decision in, in some depth. And I suppose it makes sense when you when you read through it and think about him having been here on his own for quite a bit really of the, the pandemic and um, his wife and, and kid have been back in in South Africa so that's really tough um, personal circumstances certainly on the pitch he hasn't let up really has he still been in excellent form still been one of the first names on the Ireland team sheet as he has been right since 2016 when he made his debut against Wales and was named man of the match um, he really hasn't let up he's been consistently good for Ireland he probably hasn't convinced everyone still and certain aspects of his game 
people complain about and, and say he could bring more but what he has brought has been undoubtedly important consistent work rate excellent around the breakdown always putting his hand up for carries and tackles good in his detail around the the set piece um and capable of some explosive moments that people probably overlook at times as well um as well as just fitting in and um and fitting into team cultures and uh, and buying into that side of things he's absolute i suppose he's really a hero down in Munster, isn't he I, i'm I'm actually I knew he was very popular but kind of blown away by the, the outpouring of of kind of love and affection for him this week um, it must be really heartening for him and his family um so yeah he's made an absolute success of a move that happened all the way back in 2012 it was really interesting looking back on that try against Glasgow on his home debut where he runs the length of the pitch he probably changed as a player and certainly his body composition I think changed a little bit to to suit the demands of test rugby but he has been excellent ever since he arrived um, and certainly the most successful project player that Ireland ever, ever had. Um, I know people will, will complain about that and it's, it's obviously changed to five years now. But he has bought in and you can never question his commitment in what he delivered on the pitch as well as being unbelievably popular with, with fans off it. So he, he heads back to South Africa after this with just an incredible record behind him. He's in the pantheon of great Irish back rows, I think, Bernard. I know, as Murray says, he hasn't won over everybody, but few players really do in this day and age. Like, I don't think anybody is universally popular among uh, rugby fans, of any team for that matter. I, I think, actually, Stander is about as close as you can get at the moment. And when you consider what he's put into the Irish jersey, I know it's only been kind of five years, but some of the performances, and as Murray says, the absolute commitment to the shirt for a guy who isn't Irish. Like, let's not sugarcoat it. But for what he gave to that jersey and for what he gave to Munster. Yeah, no, he has been, um, he's been an incredible servant uh, to, to both to both teams, normally plays 80 minutes, um, has evolved his game. I mean, he was signed as that, that you know, dynamic ball-carrying ace who could, um, you know, run the wider channels. And, and his game became more closed um, and probably, but higher, he increased his work rate. He just, you know, his activity is incredibly uh, high. He's actually... He was very powerful um, and dynamic, uh, close to the line. Um, you know, he was very hard to stop. He, he was very good in those pick and jams, um, and he's very good uh, as a jackal threat as well, um, which he probably didn't have early in his game. And uh, yeah, look, he's going to be missed. Uh, I think it opens up the door for Doris or you know or Coombs or whatever. So I think probably long term for Ireland, I think we'll we'll be fine. Um, but that shouldn't <clears throat> uh, reduce to. The admiration and, and respect we should have for what he's what he's given to to Munster and Ireland. People people can probably take for granted as well the fact that he has bought into Munster's culture and and kind of embedded himself in Limerick society, if you like, and really uh, bought into a sense of Irishness as well. While he has been de facto Irish, like I know the anthem thing might seem gimmicky to some people, but it was him sincerely making an effort to try and be like everybody else. But as Murray says, like he came over very young, he couldn't even speak English, which is a, a fairly famous part of his backstory at this point when he arrived, and it can be difficult as well for guys to settle in. I always get the impression from Stander that he is like 100% committed to Munster, say, but that rugby is kind of a job for him as well, and that I don't know if he necessarily socialises with his teammates that much off the pitch. It's like he gives 100% in the professional environment and then kind of keeps to himself a little bit uh, off the field, and after nine years of living in a country, particularly when, as Murray says, when your family is now back home, um, these things can can kind of take their toll as well, like where you would probably have a pointing for home after a, a lengthy period of time. Yeah, w- without a doubt. And I, and I think, um, 
I think he has bought in, particularly he's very good with fans. He's very good with the press. Um, you know, he's probably more open um, than than some of our for our own players are, and and probably he's gone the extra mile with 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 the public really compared, and that's probably why, you know, he's hugely respected and 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 well liked, not just for what we see, you know, between the white lines, it's it's what he's done off the field, and look, when you take a project player like that. You know, does the risk are they going to fit in culturally? Um, are they going to perform on the pitch? And like, there's absolutely no doubt. I mean, he's pretty much been uh, he has been first choice since he became available. Um, and as I said, playing 80 minutes every week and being a big part of obviously our best year 2018. So um, yeah, I'm sure when he when he hangs up the boots, um, he'll look back at his period. You know, um, with a lot of pride. The thing that, that I suppose makes such a shock of is he, he's he's so young. Like he turns thirty-one early next month, and from what I know, I mean, there's no major injury issues there. Obviously, he's battered his body, um, and that should be stated again. Like he's, I'd, I'd say there's no higher collision toll than in anyone in in Irish rugby than him, um, and very direct at times. But it is surprising in that sense. Um, it'll be interesting to see if this is a a trend, if, particularly I suppose with players. Who are based away from their home nation we've probably seen little hints of that even could see it wanting to go back and another kind of less high profile similar examples so that's a fascinating side of it and it'll be fascinating to see if anyone can convince him to play when he's back over there because i'd be shocked if if no one in south african rugby like jay quite obviously the one who stands out is thinking okay this guy's going back to south africa he's a top level international first choice test back row who may even be on a lions tour in a couple of months time or Lions series rather um, and won't try and convince him. So that'll be interesting side of it as well. But from what I can see, the Irish fans who who adore him won't have an issue with that, really. Um, and I can understand people have now voiced concerns and I, I suppose around a guy coming over as a project player and, and heading away straight away after they retire back to their, their home nation and I suppose bemoaning that reality of project players all over again. As I say, I think it is a good thing that it's changed to five years and that there probably be less of that transactional side of it but you couldn't really say that about cj sander and his family i mean in terms of the buy-in as we say here and and invest investing themselves emotionally um and there's all sorts of different nationalities these days and people are so um i mean there's such a movement around the world pre-covid obviously um and and you can kind of have a home away from home and certainly it's felt like that with him and um, so i'll be fascinated just to see if this is the final chapter or if there's another one that kind of adds on after they release the first edition and in a year's time they have to update the book yeah i did see a lot of people doubting the sincerity of his statement yesterday bernard and a lot of monster fans uh feeling aggrieved that um say suggestions that stander had tried to negotiate a new deal with the irfu uh, there doesn't um we can't find kind of substance to that we don't know but uh at the same time as murray says he could be 100% committed to retiring now and moving home and not thinking about playing rugby again but the external perception of it in, on behalf of some of the clubs back home and clubs in Japan maybe France is that he's a 30 year old free agent really more so than a retired rugby player after a few months six months at home not playing ball letting the body recover you can get the bug again I'm pretty sure yeah absolutely I, I personally think he may play again I, even I'm not doubting the sincerity of the of the statement I just think that's um, get home, you know, be around family, um, and he obviously had started his career in South Africa. And you know, I know someone like Gio Aplon, who, who I coached in Grenoble. He went from he went from Western Province to to France to Japan, 
but he wanted to finish where it started, and he, he's back playing now with the Bulls with with Jake White, and, and you know I can imagine you know this, the Bulls have an unbelievable back row, and there were certainly rumours back in in November December that Jake was looking at CJ, and um, obviously they got Marcel, but I mean you know I, I think that any of those top franchises um, if they if they have a back row shortage. I mean, you're you're going to pick up a an incredible player. Plus, if he did get an urge to play again, obviously we all know the Japanese season is is a lot shorter as well. So you know the South Africans who go there do tend to have a a very good uh, balance in terms of their their season in Japan and obviously getting home. So um, and because as Murray said, you know his injury profile is is, is really strong. Um, he will be attractive to to players. So look, at, I'm not I'm just thinking that. You know, you're 31 years of age and you've had a rest. You know, you've got home, travel opens up a bit again. Um, I think it'd be very hard to, to not want to have a, another experience because if you look at how much he bought into to his experience in Ireland, I mean, he, he seems to be a, an inquisitive, um, you know, uh, people person. So you, you could see him wanting to, to continue. I could see him wanting to continue that, but that's not saying that he, he's not done. It's just, I just think that, you know, given it's a very unusual situation with COVID, um, and I wouldn't be surprised if he if he played again because he's still got a lot of rugby left in him if he wants. You if know? he doesn't, if he doesn't play again, I have massive respect for that as well. Someone to just walk away from it and put their family first, as he says, that'd be cool to see because it is just a career. If he can do something else and not batter his body and not be away every single weekend from his family as they kind of grow um, and grow older, um, that that'd be amazing. I think. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see if that is more of a, a trend in the game um, and to see what happens. Listen, I won't be surprised, or I will be surprised if he doesn't hit, what, 30 carries this weekend, 30 tackles, throw in a few rocks and is just unbelievably rampant um, on his last Ireland game. He's not going to go on that summer tour. He'll be hoping for a, a Lions tour as a finale. But it's a pity for him that he's not going to have fans in the stadium for, for the send-off. Um, but I, I will be surprised if he doesn't make a big stamp on the game. Who knows? He might get a send off in Thoman Park someday if he lands back up with the Bulls or somebody like that. I I quite like the idea of that actually. Um, Murray on the women's side of things, a big announcement uh, yesterday. I think it was was it yesterday? Yeah, about a, a three tier competition from twenty twenty three. Can you run us through that? Some people might not be aware of it actually. It kind of seemed to creep under the radar a small bit. And talk to us about the kind of pros and cons of it from your point of view as you see it. Yeah, so this was kind of delayed. This announcement was announcement was delayed by COVID nineteen, but great to see it finally done. They've announced a new competition called WXV, so obviously women's fifteen, um, and it's an annual global competition. It's going to be every year in a kind of September October window. Um, and across three tiers so uh, 16 teams across three tiers every autumn essentially and it will follow on from the regional competition so the top three teams in the women's six nations will go into that top tier and so on with regional qualifiers from around the world um, for me this is a, a great move I mean we've talked about a kind of global men's calendar for so long and, and the women's game kind of has nailed it down here already it's obviously going to increase commercial interest. It'll increase the competitiveness as well as having really meaningful tests across the year, which has been an issue for the women's game for a long time. I mean, I can't wait for the first one. It's going to start in 2023 and it's going to be fascinating even just to see who qualifies in. There's going to be some battle for third place even in the Six Nations behind you, behind you would presume France and England. Um, so yeah, it's 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 fascinating and, and positive in that sense and, and it certainly gives a, a stronger 
calendar and sense of momentum in the women's game and you would hope that other nations will soon be in a position to follow the likes of England in in professionalism and this is a step towards that hopefully it'll increase the revenues world rugby are they say they're very confident that there's going to be a lot of strong interest from from broadcasters particularly with the joined up nature of it all Um, but it is I suppose on the, the negative side it probably increases the gap in some ways i mean if you're not in that top tier competition um it's going to be hard to get those level the test level you you require to actually improve and say someone like spain who are are a good women's nation and they're not actually in the six nations so they can't qualify into the top tier as things stand so that's tricky there's no relegation um from the top tier for the first couple of years as well so there's definitely frustrations in that regard and there's a whole lot of challenges in terms of making sure that logistically these things are nailed on, that there's a really good host for each of the tournaments every single year, and that there is still signs of progressing the women's game in, in countries outside the, the really big three or four uh, and increasing that competitiveness. We've spoken about that in the men's game a lot, uh, and that's a crucial challenge for, for the women's game. But on the whole, this is positive news. It's exciting uh, to get it out there finally. And it just adds another, I suppose, carrot in the women's game every every year for players to chase. You want to be in that top tier. You want to be playing against nations that you don't get a chance to regularly. And you want to be playing as many test matches as possible. So it ticks all those boxes. Uh, and I'm excited to see it come into life um, in a couple of years. Yeah, it certainly sounds good to me. I love the idea of dead rubbers and the Six Nations being kind of eradicated. There's always something, a bigger picture to play for. And as you say, like the, the men's game, it's something that the men's game could conceivably learn from when it does kick off. Uh, let's see how it plays out in 2023. Looking forward to it already. Uh, looking backwards, Bernard, Scotland, Ireland, and you mentioned there are probably more questions than answers. We had cheated up as a kind of a litmus test for Andy Farrell's team. Um, they passed a lot of tests, probably failed others within the, the space of that game. Um what was your kind of overriding reaction coming out of it, or even now, Thursday, as we've had time to mull over it? Yeah, I, I thought it was a game of very low quality. Um, both teams made a huge amount of errors. Um, Scotland, I mean, if you're Gregor Townsend, they're going to break his heart. They just, um, they're just so frustrating, and 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 they kill themselves. You know, obviously their lineout, their lineout imploded, um, and some of it was great defensive work from Ireland, but you know. There's, there was big issues with their calling system and their speed on the ground um, and that obviously you know hamstrung them in terms of having no decent uh, launch plays uh, from from that area of the game what we saw what they could do off scrum ball and they had us in they had us on the back foot massively so um okay it's easier to tackle off scrum but I still think they have the the back line to to hurt us if they had had a decent source of possession off line out um so we we're quite lucky there and also they dealt with the high the high ball um, that we put on them really poorly. I mean, Ireland kicked. I thought our contestants were shocking. Um, a lot of not the, the, the ones off six them were okay, but the ones a lot of our kicking off nine was was just really poor, really short, uh, shallow, without meaning to be. I don't think, but just got Scotland. We got the ball back, so it wasn't a big issue. Um, and from an Irish point of view, yeah, defensively, you know, we had dominated possession. Um, but we still conceded three tries, so I I I I am worried about our D, and um, you know I, I know everyone's focused on our attack, but uh, and that's that's definitely a work in progress. But our, our defence, for me, is uh, despite a huge amount of effort, um, is 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 weak, and I fear for England this weekend that they could 
they could rip us apart. Um, uh, but obviously, you know, Slade being out to help in that in that regard. But um, yeah, I, I, I'm not convinced, to be honest. Not convinced. Well, I certainly have the fear of God in me this week, Murray, after that game, I have to say. And as Bernard says, there are a lot of areas which don't seem to be showing any signs of improvement. You were chatting to Owen Tulin on Monday uh, in relation to the attack, saying that you feel as though it might have regressed, actually, at this point, compared to some of the things we saw uh, earlier in Andy Farrell's tenure. Let's let's focus on some of the positives, though, as well, um, as we as we do naturally. But uh, we're talking about a victory, and a victory that we were kind of doubtful whether Ireland could get. So uh, Bernard pinpoints probably the reason why Ireland win that game. It is the line-out and the fact that they were able to dismantle a Scottish ball. Scotland just could not get a foundation in the game. And I actually think there's evidence to suggest that if they had a functioning line-out, they would have crucified us. That's how important it was that Ireland got after Scottish ball. 100%. I mean, Eddie Jones didn't say a whole lot earlier on, but he basically said Ireland's game is line-out and a bit of kicking in on top of it. And I think that's really fair. I don't think you could argue with that. Uh, the attack is not firing at the moment. I do... And I've looked back again at those games, even against Scotland last year, I thought there were way more glimpses in the autumn, even you'd think of that passage leading up to the Duncan Taylor yellow card, a really nice passive attack. Um, there were similar examples across 2020, but I haven't really seen that this year. And I, I feel they're in a muddled place where the, the confidence has probably been shot. And now they're coming up against one of the best defences around, one that has absolutely smothered them and crucified them uh, the last couple of occasions. I think... Eddie Jones has called it. I think they're going to be extremely kick-heavy and I think they're going to be focused absolutely on the set-piece and not worry about attack really this weekend. I think that makes sense this week. It's maybe a little bit depressing, but that's where they are right now. There's no point in them trying to play with a poor attack into the face of that English defence. That is just... That's just lunacy if you're if you're trying to do that. The same that you've tried before. The definition of insanity. Um, so I think they'll... Yeah, Conor Murray, if he's back at nine... The, as we speak, the team's not been named, but it looks like he might be back in at nine. I agree with Bernard. The box kicking from nine was was poor, and I'm I was shocked they weren't punished more. Actually, to be honest, it was freakish the way some of the balls bounced. Our Irish players chasing, working really hard, and that is a positive again. Like, you know, ask Johnny Major on the week, what do Ireland do well? And he basically said, you know, they they work hard, they fight for each other, they're always turning up for each other, and you cannot dispute that. Now that should be a prerequisite in international rugby. But it is getting Ireland out of trouble. Even the way they won that game, kick off really well. Ryan Baird puts pressure on. They make a tackle, make another turnover. Their defensive breakdown obviously is a real strength. And Johnny Sexton, yet again, at the age of 35, nails his kick to get them out of trouble. Um, it would have been disastrous to even draw that, really, wouldn't it, after leading by 14 points. So they're turning up. Even the way they made Scotland work for the, the levelling try was impressive and gritty you think will connor is making that excellent tackle again so there's application there the players clearly want to play for for andy farrell but i agree i don't think the, the quality has been there and having watched that match on saturday between france and england there was a there was a definite gulf obviously in the, in the quality so i yeah i wouldn't be too confident but i do think ireland can really refine things and have an extremely specific game plan for this for this match that probably suits where they have been stronger and do have uh, players with with strength so Connor Murray and Johnny Sexton, if they're going to be kicking Aki and, and Henshaw in midfield, being really physical and direct, and probably not worrying as much about trying to get out to the 15s and, and their, their shape that Mike Cat's been trying to bet in and hasn't really worked. Um, just refine it and, and focus it. Bernard, just to stick with the plus column for the moment, right? As Murray says, there is a kind of a real um, sense of collectiveness, I think, camaraderie about this Irish team, and they are base level requirements you would imagine for international sport not to mind rugby um 
Ian Henderson mentioned actually earlier in this campaign he was doing some live stuff and I just happened to be covering it and he talked about how actually teams don't have that as a kind of a fundamental principle or it's not uh, kind of an automatic thing it does need to be worked on and when you see the way Irish the Irish forwards particularly are handling their opponents at the moment they were a match for France I think you could say and they've probably dominated Wales you'd expect them to dominate Italy and they really beat the crap out of Scotland to the extent that we didn't think they could I thought when we were chatting last week there are a lot there are a lot of things that they're doing very well that shouldn't be taken for granted either is what I'm trying to say like the belligerence with which they're attacking the breakdown and uh disturbing uh, opposition ball getting after it the line of thing that we mentioned there are some really really good things or they're doing things really really well um it's just that they're not doing enough of them really well I suppose at the moment yeah, yeah, no, they are doing those things um, very well, and we should we should be grateful they are. And that's probably, in some ways, that could be our downfall because it means we never really get exposed. Like, so I would say, I would say England losing that game to Scotland in the manner they lost at round one, and then obviously the the, the Welsh game, the discipline issues, and um, okay, we know there was fourteen points, but I actually think England now would be better for that if that makes sense I, I think that that's forced Eddie to I know he's gone with the same same players as such but I think they are evolving now and the problem for Eddie was that the game plan they had in 2020 and parts most part most of 2019 was still being effective less so and, le- and the games were getting closer but they were still Grand Slam winners I think and, and won the, the Autumn Cup so it's hard to evolve you know when you're when you're on top whereas we my concern is that we're not we haven't reached the point where there's a realization that we have to get better in those other areas but yet because we're strong in the fundamentals of work rate honesty good set piece and we kick a lot of contestables we're never going to get hammered or we shouldn't get hammered you know what i mean um because we dominate possession we dominate territory teams don't go bar england last year in in twickenham or, or where they went you know, 80 meters. It's it's unlikely that teams will go 80 meters against you. So we'll always be competitive. Um, I I would like to hope, but that doesn't necessarily mean we're going to be winning trophies. And uh, so yeah, it, I, I don't I don't think all it's bad. Um, but having said that, the areas that we said post World Cup we needed to improve on haven't improved, haven't improved, and we've had you know a couple of this our third campaign. So. That's that's the concern, um, and I think against England, I think the reason that England and France game was such high quality was both teams wanted to play. Um, so Ireland, as I agree, Murray Ireland shouldn't want to play this weekend as much. Hence, England won't have as many opportunities to to look good. You know what I mean? So I, I you know, I've been caught lots of times looking at two teams play and going, "Wow, that standard." They eat, they eat an opposition who who don't look as good. But the reality is, you need two teams who want to play to. To have a, a high quality game like that, and I, I don't see Ireland doing that. But it, going back to the, you know, if if Connor starts again, questions massively our understanding of how to use the bench. Um, and I think, you know, if Connor hasn't played for a few weeks, twenty minutes against Scotland when you're fourteen points up would have been good for him if you plan to pick him against England. And surely they know six days, you know, a six day turnaround, they have an idea of who they're going to play against England. Um, so that would be a big shock for me if he starts having not gotten any game time last weekend and also I mean if Billy Burns is on the bench again his confidence is going to be shot because we obviously didn't trust him to bring him on against um, Scotland even though you know Andy said 
Johnny had cramp with 10 minutes to go. You know what I mean? So um, it, that's that's a worry for me. If, if Connor starts, I have no issue with Connor starting because I understand why we why we would use him. But my issue would be, well, you know, would not be great to get 20 minutes into him or 15 minutes or 10 minutes in last weekend just to get him up to speed. Mm. That's been a persistent issue, hasn't it, Bert? Really, the, the bench and there doesn't seem to be a clear strategy or a clear response to circumstances in games. Um, but I suppose, Gav, just to go back to, like, there there are loads in the positive ledger as well. Even the fact that they've, I suppose, steadied the ship a little bit. We thought they beat Scotland by three. I know the circumstances were far from ideal in how they eventually just grabbed it, but they got that bit done. And there were some players playing really, really good rugby, which almost makes it a little bit more frustrating. If you think of Ian Henderson, who's... I can't think of him being this good across the course of his career, really. It's 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 career form. He's been rampant, really. Tyke Byrne has become a test force, really. A guy who we never quite knew where he was going to fit in into the starting team. Now you have to fit him in no matter where it is. Um, Will Connors has been brilliant the last couple of games. Unfortunately, it sounds like he might be injured this weekend. Um, again, the team's named in a couple of hours after we talk, which would be a blow if that is the case. Um, because he's been excellent. Robbie Henshaw, again, probably in career form, he looks really physically on it, really confident, and a contrast to a lot of the players around him, I would say. Even Gary Ringrose, probably in the last couple of games beside him, who's probably had... He's he's illustrated, I suppose, the, the attacking problems where decisions haven't gone right, and then it gets in their head a little bit. Obviously, he's gone this game, and, and he's a blow. He is a, an excellent player, as is James Ryan, a big blow for this game. But there are some guys there who are, are playing excellent rugby, other guys haven't really been in that kind of form. Um, and that's the frustration. It's a little bit like Ireland. There's an inconsistency even in the quality of the individual performances. Um, and that's been the story of them, really. There's there's not been a consistency across a whole lot of areas of the game. The defence, as Bernard mentions. The one thing has probably been the line-out defence. They've been absolutely lethal. They're 14 steals so far in the Championship. Next best is Wales on seven. It's been absolutely ridiculous, really. And England will have spent a lot of time focusing on that because that's probably the one area they feel Ireland can win the game i mean without without that line out defense it'll be a very different looking championship for ireland so that's a massive part of this weekend but it has been really positive for ireland yeah just on that we've also been highly illegal um and no 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 like absolutely you gotta push the you gotta push the laws and i'm not uh, i think it's brilliant but i would be shocked if matt proudfoot and eddie jones haven't highlight to the referee how we're getting in the air early before the ball's left the hooker's hand how we're closing the gap etc so like if, if the referee referees that strictly and, and sometimes you see at the end of the competition you get punished for things you got away with during it um it might be just an area that we don't get as much out of or maybe gives them penalty opportunities off their own throw and again like um i'm just looking at some of it i'm going well if you're mad proud for it and you're doing your opposition analysis and you're sending your footage to the referee you're going to be making them aware of you know some not not blatant well it is blatant to a coach yeah so um that that the referee will need to look at and again it might be just fresh in his mind and, and he might ignore it but uh, just to highlight that that might not necessarily be an area of strength for us again purely because um, we've had a competitive advantage in that area. Do you reckon that can work both ways sometimes, Bernard, when coaches do flag certain things about an opposition that it's it's obvious that they are trying to influence the referee. I mean, it's actually transparent. But that referees might actually not take kindly to that. Like, don't tell me how to do my job. And they might see sort of similar incidents in the game and kind of think, actually, that's not one of those that you were talking about, uh, almost finding a reason to not ping it a little bit. Yeah, 100%. Particularly, 
like I, I've had experiences where you know we've sent stuff in and then the ref tells you yeah but you did that against Glasgow or whatever you know what I mean as well so you have to be you have to be careful look at it's it's a risk we're taking um, and uh, sometimes it, it works you often see early in the games you'll know you'll know if you've if he, if he's read the memo and if he agrees with you um, and if it does yeah great like you, you can win a game on it you know you can win a game on it uh, having highlighted this uh, the, the key is not to show two like. 10 different areas of the game they're cheating in it's it's literally the one that's most blatant um and hopefully get the referee supervisor on board as well and have that chat in the in the in the dressing room you know did you see the clips do you agree yeah just reinforcing it again um and yeah look at it's 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 part of the the game before the game just a quick update gav on on the referee front our weekly update it's matthew reynal this week with alex ruiz and Gozer as his assistant refs, and Roman Poit is on TMO. So that'll be interesting. We got the, I just checked there, we got the standard of bollocks Father Ted reply on Twitter. So it feels like a, a regular occurrence now. All is well with the world, Murray. Grass is green, sky is blue. Uh, that should be interesting, to be fair. It sounds like an entertaining bunch uh, of Maverick officials. Uh, I've got a question here about Ian Henderson that I want to throw up to you, Murray, because as you flagged there, we have some players that are playing unbelievably as individuals. Henderson is one of them, and Tygburn has probably been like the player of the tournament for all teams, I think, as far as I can see. Even though Ireland have had a patchy tournament, he's been absolutely outstanding in every game. Henderson sort of... I think has been almost as influential, but maybe doesn't get the plaudits so much anymore. And, and this question is about that, actually, from Paddy O'Dee. Uh, Paddy says, is there an unfair perception that Henderson is inconsistent or hasn't delivered his full potential? Yes, he gets lots of injuries, but nearly every time he plays for Ireland, he's one of our best five players. He's rarely the best player, but nearly always in that top tier bracket, which is an amazing level of consistency. I think he may not get the credit he deserves because of his, at times, laid back body language and the fact that he doesn't do as much media as others, etc. Yeah, I mean, as we say, this form has been brilliant. Unfair, maybe... I don't know. I, I think the frustration has been we know he's capable of this. This is his potential now that we're seeing maximised. Um, and I remember talking about this before, about the bit in Sean O'Brien's book where he expressed that frustration, where he felt Henderson wasn't quite fully sure himself of just how good he could be. And now we're, I think we're seeing it in, in the big test matches. He's been that dominant force. Yeah, some of his work probably goes under the radar and has in the past, but and the injuries certainly have, have held him back a little bit. But now you're seeing the really complete performances. Unbelievably aggressive in the tackle. He's making strip tackles. He's winning those jackal turnovers he's always had in the armory. He's carrying aggressively. He's covering ground really with massive work rate. Obviously running the line out efficiently. And it's been at its best when he's been the guy in charge of it. I know James Ryan did a bit of it last year. And they were probably the games where, not just through James Ryan's fault, that things didn't go so well. He's been a steady hand and, and taken on that responsibility. As well as being obviously an important leader he got the chance to captain the team for the first time um, and I'm just I mean we spoke about inconsistency he's one of the guys who's been consistent as soon as he came off the bench against Wales he was just um, destructive and that's what he's been ever since and I think he's answered any of those questions that people like Sean O'Brien and some of his other teammates clearly had about him and, and felt he could be even more of a, of a force I mean Warren Gatlin watching that last weekend is definitely put him in his squad again obviously he toured in 2017 but He's thinking, that's a guy I've got to give serious consideration to absolutely rip into the spring box. That's how good, honestly, I, I think he is at his very best. And and now he's hit that that marker on a consistent basis. he got to just keep pushing it on. 
um, because him, him and Ryan obviously look like a, a brilliant pairing. Um, and yeah, he, he's probably getting more of the wider plaudits, but I think it probably has been fair that people have had reservations about it. And uh, and that's not true him playing badly. I think he's been playing, obviously you don't win that many caps by playing badly, but there was always that extra level left in him. And it's really thrilling, I suppose, to see him bringing that out. That's a great point, uh, Birch, about the, that extra level. I, I think it's like he's unlocked an extra tier to his own game, probably since even getting the Ulster captaincy, where there is more responsibility on him. And even when he was given it, he seemed obviously enthused, but a little bit uncomfortable, uh, which is completely understandable, in that it was going to be new for him. He had to consult with Rory Best, and he's done the same with Johnny Sexton when he took the uh, captaincy for Ireland. And it feels as though maybe with that weight of, of expectation and responsibility there are no hiding places you can't have a day off or a weekend off anymore you know where you only kind of play six out of ten you need to be one of the guys who's consistently standing up and in relation to the question about criticism uh, over his consistency i think he has had periods in his career where he's been inconsistent it's just that at this present moment it's not one of them he's actually consistently brilliant i think that this is one where i would give some credit to 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 paul paul o'connell i think that um Henderson has spent a lot of time with him. Um, I'm sure they're working on the individual parts of his game, and he's he's always had the ability. But what we're seeing now is week in, week out, and also probably pressure. You know, um, pressure from Ryan Baird coming up. You know, um, who obviously has see Henderson's always been quite unique in that he was always more athletic than the guys competing with him, um, whereas. Probably he's not as athletic as, as Baird, which uh, is testament to Baird. He's still a very good athlete. So I would say there's you know maturity, an injury-free run. I think Paul Paul's definitely helping him and, and giving him a little bit more you know detail around his, his line-out work, his breakdown work, and pressure from Ryan and and uh, Ryan Baird. And uh, yeah, all together it's been good for us because you know we're seeing the best of them. It's a really interesting kind of character he's a little bit different to other guys in the squad um if people get a chance to listen to a podcast it's Niall Annett he used to play for Ulster and Ireland under 20s over in Worcester Warriors actually made his 100th appearance there last weekend he does a podcast called Wind Your Neck In and he does an interview with Henderson who he's mates with and it's a very revealing interview about Henderson about his attitude towards rugby at the start about how guys had to probably light a fire under him how he maybe had to change his approach to training and even his attitude towards rugby now and and how it's not the be-all and end-all. It's, it's quite revealing about him, um, and it's great to have different characters like that in, in the mix. Uh, but he's definitely had to tweak elements of of his natural, I suppose, personality and um, and bring that constant aggression as well. So he's done that brilliantly, and and I think he's right now he's, he's right in the mix for that lines, even for a, a possible start. We do, I suppose, have to talk about some negatives, Bernard, and we've sort of skirted around the attack a little bit. Uh, I want to ask you, do you think any differently about it now than you have throughout the competition? Because it's a talking point every week, but it doesn't seem to my eye anyway, and it is an untrained eye, that it is getting any better. I, I can't see any of the sort of details surrounding the attack improving. Do you see anything that uh, would suggest it's going in the right direction at all at the moment? No, no, I don't. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I don't think it's getting better. Um, uh, no, I, I, yeah, I wish I could say I thought it was getting better, but I, I don't. I, don't, I honestly don't uh, and even uh, even guys like Gary Ringrose who I who I, uh, is is top top end have become more conservative um so the whole the whole thing around you know the bit of of, of criticism that came from the coaches about the players not implementing the game plan um 
either the either the game plan is to bash it, um, or the players have become more more conservative and um, you know, and that's being conservative is, is what got us where we where we got to. Um, and yeah, even though other parts of our game has improved, I, I I still think unless you have a an attack that has a real cutting edge, it's going to be difficult. You're going to have to beat teams with emotion, and you're going to have to win. You know, get last minute penalties and be good at the breakdown and win jackal turnovers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, but I think certain teams won't let you be that be be close enough to them do that um, if you don't improve your attack. So, yeah, look, I think when Johnny plays, I think when Johnny plays, our attack will always be decent. Will always be better um, than it is when he doesn't play because I think he influences others around him and he he pre calls things and he gets people in position. So you'll have some semblance of a of a of shape with him. Um, but I think that's not that's not the future. You know what I mean? You have to have a team. And also, I don't think Joey, this is the interesting one, a lot of people will say, oh, Joey playing 10, he's going to carve it up. Joey's an instinctive player, and we see Finn Russell, the trouble he gets into being instinctive at, at, at test level. Um, I actually don't think Joey being 10 will improve our attack on its own. There has to be a collective understanding of what we're trying to do. Um, uh, and, you know, in actual fact, I think Joey could end up getting in trouble running up blind alleys because... There's not enough support around him because he's naturally quieter than Johnny. Um, but like, yeah, because I think Billy Burns and Ross Byrne have been done a disservice and been harshly criticised for their roles in our attack. Um, whereas if they had a, a, a more, a, if, if everybody knew what they were trying to do, I think it'd be a lot easier for them to come in and do it. And the reason Johnny's able to overcome that is because of his experience, of his stature in the team, of his personality, he he can make it better than it actually is. On uh, if that makes sense, uh, uh, yeah, I think that Johnny Johnny covers up for cracks in the system. Christ, how bad is it, Murray? If Johnny is making it look better than it is, yeah, like without without going too far on this, I think Mike Cat and Andy Farrell have kind of misjudged the way the game is going. Like, look at France; they're unbelievably good off lineout, structured attack. I know they've capability of opening up and absolutely making brilliant decisions on the ball but even within that even if you think of their first try there's loads of bits of structure in that there's a really clear understanding of who's going to hold the short side for the first try and then really nice square running and, and fixing defenders which ireland haven't done basics like that ireland's set piece attack has definitely got worse as this championship has gone on there's no two ways about it it was really poor again last weekend getting run into touch off a scrum not even making gain line dense on first phase of, of line out attack line out attacks that meander across three or four phases and it's unclear what exactly they were trying to do and certainly not picking out any Scottish weaknesses and that's been a bit of a team um, and they've talked loads about heads up rugby and they're generally talking about the phase play and being more creative in phase play but even like look at England's attack last weekend in the first half thrilling attack in the first half and it's easy to go oh you know they took the shackles off but they didn't it was really structured some of the stuff they did think of Henry Slade's kind of break off a lovely little bit of shape in midfield where they add in another um, kind of release player at the back and he draws a defender away. This is in the middle of face play, but it's highly structured, highly drilled. I'm not saying you take away any semblance of, of freedom and autonomy. You still have decisions within that, but there has to be a bit more, I think. And it looks like to me, Ireland's players don't have that, both in set piece and in, in face play attack. Um, there's a real muddiness around it all. And I think, as I say, this game is really refined game plan, but it's vital that they go away over the next few months, Cat and, and Farrell, and rethink exactly what they're doing. And that when the players come back in, there's a lot more 
I mean, clarity is the word we've spoken about. And I, I'm not saying you prescribe every single thing, but give players a sense of where they're going, what they're doing in each area of the pitch and where they need to be to su- support a teammate. Um, because they're not even producing line breaks now. I mean, you look back at the game last weekend, they were down for three. Brett Igo did a good little clip of all the line breaks in the game and two of them were catching were the, box, were the box kicks even good actually I don't know they caught the box kicks they got tackled a couple meters later um, and the other one wasn't really a line break either so they're not they're just not cutting defences apart and that's an issue um, a big one I know I know Tess Roby is about so much more than um, than just that you've got to have the set piece you've got to have the defence but that is a big one for them to work on Birch this is going to briefly sound like a football podcast question but looking at England and France playing the way they both played is it true that we just do not have the players to be able to play that way? No, completely untrue. Completely untrue. We could, uh, we could definitely play, um, play a lot more and better, and uh, hurt teams easier. So yeah, I don't agree with that. I look at the counter argument would be, oh, we don't have a Fiku or or a Dupont. Um, but you know, I don't think that England's backline individually Max Malin's an exciting player and uh, I look forward to seeing him but I don't think um, they're far superior than us uh, the problem for us is our back three players don't get anything don't get any ball they don't get any good ball let's give him a chance if you're going to pick James Lowe um, get the ball in his hands as much as possible because he's far more comfortable with the ball than he is without it um, you know get the ball in Keith Earl's hands get the get Keenan coming in um, you know uh, uh, hard into the line but like we aren't we aren't very good at that. So that's the like if you're playing between the fifteens, um, you'd want to have like you know Vakatawa can potentially do something in that space, you know. Uh, but Robbie and Gary, they're unbelievably uh, good players and uh, they're brilliant players and they run hard, etc. But you're not going to make line breaks in that channel, you know, unless you're you're someone completely uh, freak athlete. So we don't have those. So, but yeah, we just bash and bash and, and, and go direct and don't give our wings, just let our wings try and defend and chase kicks. You know, Murray, I don't think, I don't think this is the week. This isn't the week to do it. Uh, this isn't the week to do it without having practice. Um, and that's what happened to us in Twickenham last year. We thought we could get round them. Uh, so we were overly, overly optimistic about our, our, attacking shape and we got caught behind the gain line and it was a disaster so um, I certainly wouldn't be advocating it this week they, they, yeah I think they they need to have a, a good look at the, the trend of the game and, and everything I go back to France definitely some great players their line out attack has been absolutely essential in this championship their kicking game is the major improvement since Galtier took over um, Bernard knows Loxillier as well and he's had a huge impact and interestingly enough last weekend against England their kicking game wasn't good and that was one of the major differences between the team. They've improved by nailing that kicking game, by being unbelievably good off line out and set piece attack. And then when you get your opportunities, yes, their players have good decision making skills. But for me, France have nailed the right things and Ireland have focused on things that have made no impact. Like I want to be careful how I word this because it might sound um, ungrateful or something uh, off the bat. But is there a chance that there is a bit of a hangover still from the Schmidt era? When you talk about autonomy, Murray, that... Maybe the likes of Robbie Henshaw, Gary Ringrose, and some of the guys in Ireland's backline were hardwired to play in a system, and that sense of instinct or uh, maybe uh, intuition has been kind of removed from their game just through osmosis and through uh, a period of time. I'll throw it to yourself, Bert. You put your hand up there. Sorry. I love Murray's idea, um, opinion on this, but I, I think there's so much focus on 
the softer side, the softer skills, um, and I, I absolutely they're important, and, and your environment and um, togetherness and feeling of um, of, of team teammanship are really important. But if you listen to a lot of the stuff that Andy comes, out, Andy speaks about, it's all the softer stuff. Like it's you know in Paris last year, the reason we lost was we didn't believe at half time. Um, there was a thing last week around the lads are too quiet and we need to develop better leaders, etc. Like, um, you know, self-belief, we need to b- develop self-belief. Like, these, this is a team who, you know, in a previous a previous regime were amongst the best in, in the world for a period of time, who for their provinces win and, and fancy themselves to beat anybody. Munster will, will believe they can beat Toulouse, you know, in the, in the, in the next stage of the quarterfinal. Leinster will believe they can win the competition. Ulster aren't million miles away. Connacht, you know, uh, would go into every game confident. So, like, you're not dealing... It's not like picking the Italians and trying to say, oh, we got to build up their confidence because I can understand why that's on on its, on its the floor. So, realistically, the players will get confidence from seeing a game plan evolve, seeing areas of the game evolve, like our line of defence has, like our scrum has got better, like our breakdowns got better. But unfortunately, you need more than just three th- three areas of the game. You know what I mean? We need to add on another piece. And I, like I don't, uh, I don't think our, our players lack leadership. I don't think our players lack the skill set to to play a, a a more rounded game. Um, but unfortunately, that seems to be, you know, talking about character after beating Italy. Like you don't need to show character to beat Italy. Now, unfortunately, like it's not the it's not the part of the game that's more important that week. You know, you need. A lot of character to beat England, uh, France, sure, but like you know, it shouldn't have been about the character. It should have been about because we only lost two games. It wasn't like we were on on our knees, and and there was reasons why we lost two games. So, um, you know, I think there's there's it has to be a focus now on the rugby side of it because um, they've done a good job of getting the the team and join and join camp and all that stuff. That that was important, but that, that can't last for for four years of just talking around character and and. Um, you know how honest we are we need to put a plan in place that's why it was good this week to hear Johnny Sexton say even if we beat England it doesn't he didn't say it exactly it doesn't gloss over you know it's not a good championship they obviously want to be competing and I think his he's been more honest and upfront about it, I think in the last couple of weeks in particular probably in contrast to, to some of the other stuff they talked about and that's important but it's important that other guys around Johnny Sexton also grab that and, and take it on and don't settle into an acceptance of this because Ireland now since 2018 have been this team up and down middle of the road you know clear weaknesses and deficiencies and, and inconsistent um, and that shouldn't be acceptable to a high performing environment like that that is built and set up as we've discussed in previous episodes to be one of the top three teams in the world on a consistent basis to get to semi-finals in World Cups, to win Six Nations titles. Um, so yeah, it's good to hear Johnny Sexton laying that that kind of marker down. Obviously, if they beat England this weekend, unbelievable fill-up um, and boost for, for the entire group and leaves them in a nice place to build. But regardless of the result, there's lots of work to do based across the course of this whole championship. So you both think an element of conservatism is required to have any chance of beating England. Murray, I'll stick with yourself. But how... How do you make the distinction then between, say, how you want Ireland to play this weekend and how they have played against England in the past that hasn't worked? You, you said earlier, like, there's an element of maybe insanity about doing a certain thing, but what are the distinctions between the, the type of game plan you want to see this weekend and what you've seen in the past against England? 
probably what we've said before I think I think we said this before last game is a better variety in their kicking game um, obviously they've kicked heavily and, and a lot of kicks each time they've played England but very often without putting pressures on England and you think about the last day obviously the chip was a great example late on in the game I'm not saying chip it every single time but why shouldn't that be part of your strategy even a little bit earlier in the game uh, you saw France do it actually early on against the English it was really interesting to try and take away a little bit of that line speed to pose questions I think it's important definitely from the, the two halfbacks that they're not just throwing a box kick at England every time that there's a little bit of thinking through it that they've maybe played a phase and then they kick for a, a cross kick when when a wing is exposed um, and then you would hope that the midfield um, or even Hugo Keenan and, and the wingers can contribute to it as well um, that that for me is key it's just a little bit more variety to it um, and certainly a greater level of conviction in, in how they're going about it um, you'd hope that the plan has picked out a few little weaknesses in that regard a few players that they can put under pressure someone like Malins who hasn't been in that test um, arena for too long um, and then defend as Bernard said that's half the game as well they've got to defend really accurately really aggressively they've got to have their own backfield nailed down you think of Johnny May scoring off a cross kick last time out you think of him scoring from Ireland's from his own 22 rather when Ireland's defense defense just fell apart it was it was too easy a try albeit an incredible solo effort um, so they've got to absolutely nail those things there's been inconsistency on that side of it as well um, and I think when you marry those bits together with a hopefully a good functioning set piece, you've got the the makings of really being in a battle and 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 within a within a couple of you know couple of minutes of winning. So I think it will be a, a narrow one in my eyes because it's not going to be that open game that England probably would excel in. Yeah, that that yeah, that's an interesting point because I looking at the way England played and you you touched upon it yourself earlier, Bernard. Like the way Ireland are defending, if England were to be allowed to play as expansively and as fluidly as they did against even Wales, going back as far as that defeat for them, uh, they could rip us apart. And I, I just wonder, in terms of the accuracy of our defending, as Murray puts it, it seems like some like shape wise i don't know it took to my again untrained eye at times it seems okay but it just seems like lapses in concentration like individual errors more so that are being punished than anything structural but then maybe those errors are being caused by a problem with structure i'd love to get your thoughts on it yeah it's a mix really i mean um uh, the, the james low james low uh missed tackle for for the, the last scottish try that's that's a missed tackle that's an individual error we were we were numbered up there but there has been there has been structural issues as well that i think we've been letting slide there's been no sign of it being improved uh, and even against scott i know sound like a broken record but like ty Byrne was on the edge of our defense or ty furlong was on the edge of our defense um and kick kick chase and he got skinned and and you know that that happened against italy a couple of times and and you know we only can see the one try but it, like England will see England Eddie Jones will, will see those opportunities to pick off our, our our front front row players if they're on the edge there's probably a lack of a real belief in in terms of our wingers um or our last defenders are back in terms of getting getting those reads right they have made a lot of ground um from kick kicking in the backfield and finding grass in, in the past we we think Hugo Keenan, um, you know, is a lot better at, at uh, anticipating that and covering the ground. So maybe that's an area that that's not going to be as exposed. But yeah, I, I, look, I, I think there's I'm, I fear for our D. Um, like you saw how soft we were defensively. I mean, Robbie Henshaw puts in a great hit on on um, Van der Meer off a scrum, 
but like they were 25 yards over the game line and then it's poor play by the winger you know what I mean he he shouldn't be getting put in touch there and then they're on the front foot so there's lots of little areas that um, I think England will spot now having said that I think there'll be loads of emotion because it's England there'll be loads of emotion because of CJ's last game um, and that can maybe paper over some of the cracks that are out of there structurally and we get away with it this week but again from a defensive point of view and an attack point of view you just want to see similar things happening regularly and that's where you get better uh, and at the moment at the moment um, I, I couldn't be really confident that our defence would uh, particularly the way England want to play now I mean against Wales they played some of their best uh, attacking rugby um, and against France they played some really good attacking rugby and again you would say they're not going to come to Ireland and fear being shut down with massive aggressive line speed on the outside. So you'd be surprised if they didn't try and you know go wide and go wide early and often and, and put us under the under the pump there. That frightens me, Murray, because even going back to the most recent game between the two countries, uh, it felt almost like a training ground exercise for England. Uh, like they played a lot of that game almost in their own 22 or in their own territory. It, it felt like... Um, they were trying to work on specific things, probably mainly kicking, and we've seen that a little bit in the past. It all like in recent times to me, it's felt like England have been playing almost sixty or seventy percent against Ireland. They haven't had to uh, go up, move up through the gears at all to beat Ireland, and it seems now as though they are moving through the gears a little bit, particularly against France and Wales, as Bernard says. So, are we kind of? I don't know. You you reckon it might be a narrow kind of a game um, or a narrow margin between them, but are we being maybe even a bit ambitious in thinking as much? Yeah, potentially. Think back to last day and the, the line-out was a shit show, wasn't it? I mean, it wasn't on the scale of Scotland last weekend, but it was really damaging. And, and for me, the most important factor in the match and contributed towards England getting those two quick-fire scores. A couple of line-out errors, bit of indiscipline. They go into the corner, they win penalty advantage, crossfield kick, Johnny May, unbelievable player, leaps and scores. And then a, obviously a ridiculous try for him to score, but also to concede from a line-out error in the England 22 and they got that lead. And from there, they just said, you can have the ball. We know your attack is not going to break us down. We're going to enjoy this. And that made perfect tactical sense. Now, the circumstances of the game, say if Ireland get a good start, may dictate that that's not a good strategy for them. But even the nature of that game will certainly give them a lot of belief. In in the same way that Ireland had belief against Scotland last weekend, even when they went level, I would imagine the Irish players would say like, this is Scotland. We've beaten them nine out of the last 10 times. We're going to win this game. England come to Dublin expecting a victory, expecting to smother any Irish attack. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's why it's key for those bits. Like the line-out has improved. That's a positive from the last time. Again, they'll have learned not to try and play into the face of that when you have poor ball, slow ball, you're behind the game line, don't force it into wide channels because you've talked about playing heads-up rugby and being a more ambitious attack in, in phase play. Don't fall into that trap. Um and get your discipline nailed on as well. Because England are a good enough team to take advantage of any slips in those essential areas. So, yeah, Ireland have to be close to their their absolute peak here to, to make it a contest. I, I am, I suppose, heartened for from Ireland's point of view by the improvement in the line-out. Um, and their discipline was good the last day, although a little bit inconsistent again on, under Andy Farrell. Um, and I just think emotionally it's a big occasion. We spoke about CJ Stander. There'll be that motivation. There's going out on a high. You're at home in Dublin trying to save a bit of pride. I, I don't think it'll be enough for Ireland to win, but I think they will make a bit of a battle of it. It's funny, Bernard. Like It does feel like a bit of a regression to be talking about requiring 
an emotional type of performance, the thing that we were probably trying to move away from a little bit uh, during the latter years of the Schmidt era, which was like to, to back ourselves to be good enough and we wouldn't need to summon this kind of Celtic belligerence on a, on a given Sunday to beat one of these teams. That's where we're back to now, I think it seems. Yeah. I think that's where we're back to this week. Uh, um, and, and, look, and, and there's a lot to be said for it. You can you can win a match with that, but um, I think when when the coaches do the review of the Six Nations, even if we get a win this weekend, I still think that they won't be really sure what's uh, you know what's nailed on that they can start to add another layer to. I think it's just been too you know it's coming fits and starts. There's been no consistency in. I would say, um, look, defensively, close to the rook, we're fine. Um, but I think on the outside channels, um, we're, we're definitely not anywhere near where we need to be. And attack-wise, yeah, we have to work pretty hard for for our scores. Um, and even the, the Robbie Henshaw first try, you know, it's pretty fortuitous. We had him, you know, we, we had opportunities in there 22 and... You know, we weren't able to really pull a trigger and 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 convert them easily. We needed a bit of a, a bit of a break. I, I think I said this before the France match. Like, is it a good thing? And this may sound silly, but if Ireland get a a bit of a hammering here, lose heavily, maybe that's a good thing. Before the France game, I kind of felt that way. That like nothing's going to change if they lose by two points here. They felt in the France game, oh, we're, we got close to France. I don't think any three of us and most honest Ireland fans felt they were close. They got a lucky bounce for the try. And France missed chances. We don't need to go over it again. But maybe if they lose everything, then it just, it gives them a fresh iron go, where are we going? Like, you know, what's what's the point here? We're clearly not going to win a Six Nations playing like this. We're clearly not focusing on the World Cup because we're, doing everything for for the now rather than two years time i don't think people are asking us about a four-year cycle every week in the members whatsapp group i don't think there is a four-year cycle plan here to be honest they've just tried to to react to the to the now and if you get hammered by england at home well there's a a moment where you, you go this has to change they can kind of meander on and it'll be okay for another couple of years but if okay is is good enough then that's disappointing uh, it'd make you puke though wouldn't it to get a battering at home against England like in the field like 2003 <laughs> or something I, I'm not I know. I know I know what you're saying about the greater good but can we not do that in a different game yeah. maybe maybe F- Fiji can hammer us this summer yeah I'd like to hope that because because all our our senior players bar CJ will be there next year that they will now that all that stuff's done they will have a real kind of forensic look at at what we're doing um, I'd be shocked if the likes of Peter and and Johnny and um, and even you know Henderson etc. Don't expect more. And uh, like I, I was surprised that there was talk about oh we're second this week. I mean, you know we're only second because France and Scotland haven't played. You know what I mean? Um, so there's just little wor- there's little things that are have been said which worry me in terms of what our expectation is. Like I actually think. We should be contending. We should be contending for this competition. Not saying we should win it every year, um, but there's definitely enough talent, and we shouldn't just be. And like obviously, we we haven't beaten Wales, but uh, and Wales uh, over the last ten years have been incredibly successful. But realistically, we should minimum be able to beat the teams that we play against in the in the Pro 14 because we invest far more um, than they do into our into rugby in this in this country. So that's the minimum, and then you got to be stretching towards France and England and and Wales because collectively they you know they they're in a shot this week but but like beating Scotland and Italy um every year 
it shouldn't be enough really you know um shouldn't be enough so i i think that that i think it will happen i think maybe the players because they were contracts were up you know were focused on 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 getting that sorted out but um like i'll be shocked if you went into next year's six nations because we're there also as well if you if you pick the same team all the time um you have less risk of of the result going away from you uh, there's lots of studies done on cohesiveness in in sport so because we've stuck with pretty much the tried and tested tested bar you know one or two uh, additions that you know they know each other very well there's that trust there uh etc so that's going to make you more competitive as uh, anyway you know what i mean but it's not going to make you better it's not going to make you sorry it's not going to win you trophies necessarily because you have to keep finding better talent etc but we're, we're missing out on that on that i suppose period where you need to bet in and if you look at in fairness to pivac um i know he had a shock in 2020 and, and he's had a lot of luck but you know potentially now he's found you know um uh, a couple of players that will be a part of the World Cup and, and could make you know could make Wales better next year in the Six Nations. You know, Reece Zamet, Callum Sheedy maybe will come in and take over from bigger. You know, over the next period, um, he's not there yet, but he's closer to, to he's closer to being there than he was you know a, a year ago. Whereas realistically for us, are we sure Gibson Park is going to be ahead of Murray next year? I don't know. I'd be doubtful. Um, are we sure? Hugo is going to be 10 or 12, 15, yeah, probably. But, um, yeah, you know, we are we, is James Lowe head of, head of Stockdale? Don't think so. You know, is Herring as good as Keller? Like, I don't think we've we've done a huge amount to develop new players either. What about the Welsh then, Birch? Before I get your predictions for Ireland-England, which I fear now at this point, uh, can Wales win a Grand Slam this weekend? It feels as though probably the first game, maybe in rugby union history, where France are going in fearing the bounce of the ball. <laughs> Look, Wales can. I mean, Wales have got momentum now. They've got their actually attack is probably better than it was. Um, maybe under Warren, um, they've got a good balance to their play. They've got lots of confidence. Um, they've got some like top end players. I mean, like like Falatau, Pip, Tipperick, um, are are incredible. Um, uh, George North's back playing well. You know, they, they've got they've got they've got guys who are still in in, um, in top form. So I think they could go. You'd have to fancy France, but you know if Wales were to to, to pull off a a, um, a win, uh, it wouldn't really surprise me. I mean they're not they're not a million miles away from from England and France when they're on form. The problem for them in 2020 was, you know, there's lots of stuff happening in the background of Welsh rugby. Pivac was trying to evolve the game, and it just took a while. It took a while, but now with a bit of luck, uh, they've got confidence and momentum, and they've also I think. Um, I said improved their defence and attack Murray who do you fancy in that one? Allez les bleus I think France are, to put themselves in a good position for that Scotland game week after we get a bonus weekend of Six Nations so I think they'll be definitely in the, in the hunt that weekend and tell me your thoughts about Ireland England finally uh, give us a margin I suppose because I sense you're leaning towards England, England. by five I think I, I do think Ireland will as I said, make a battle of it, but I just cannot see England not winning this given the momentum they carry forward. The guys like Itoje, Farrell have pl- had some tricky games to start the championship, but were just immense last weekend. So, yeah, I think England to win. Birch? Yeah, England 25, uh, Ireland 18. You, Gav, give us one, give us one of your predictions before the last weekend. I think 
England by 12. I, I was going to just bullshit and say Ireland by a couple just to make people feel happy, but I, it, it makes me sound like a clown every time I do it, you know, so I'm just not going to. Um, yeah, I think England by a couple of scores, but Ireland will be competitive and the world will continue to turn. We'll still be having this same conversation this time next year, and I don't look forward to it, frankly. But it has been, uh, it has been a joy today. Thank you, gents. Thanks a million, Birch. Nice, guys. And thanks to everybody at home as well, all of the 42 members especially, for supporting our independent sports journalism and for sending questions. Sorry I didn't get to more of them from the WhatsApp group, but you know where we are. We'll get you eventually, no doubt about it. Uh, Murray, you will be back, I think, this weekend with a member's pod, if I'm not mistaken. Spot on. He's nodding to me here. Yeah, we're on after the match myself myself and Gary. Um, and then on Monday, we're back with Owen as well to, to dig into it. Um, so, yeah, looking forward to it super and we'll be back next thursday in this regular slot for non-members as well this podcast is brought to you in association with william hill remember to gamble responsibly and visit dunlouis.net for more information enjoy the weekend enjoy ireland england mind yourselves take it easy i don't think we've met before but i'm the referee on this field leinster could have me five mil a year i wouldn't go <laughs> <laughs> Robbie Robbie weekly. Then the first pass. Oh, 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 magic!